Isn't it amazing how often we jump to conclusions about people? We have a tendency to judge people based on their appearance, their background, occupation or their lifestyle or their age. We make assumptions about what they're like, how friendly they would be, even how they might respond to us. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers that we have that stops us from being more active in sharing our faith with others. We make our mind up about people before we speak to them. We make our mind up that people won't be interested, that they won't want to listen, that we won't want to be, respond to what we want to share with them before we even start to talk about Jesus to them. In the churches that I grew up in, many years ago, we had a gospel service on a Sunday evening where the gospel would be faithfully and accurately presented. And every night before that service, we would have a prayer meeting to ask God to work in salvation in that service. But unfortunately, very few people ever came into those services. And so I remember many times in those prayer meetings... People lamenting the fact that nobody was interested in God anymore. Nobody had any spiritual hunger anymore. But the problem was that very few of us actually reached out to people to see if that actually was true. When some of us actually went out on the streets uh, to talk to people who were hanging about, uh, especially the young people who were hanging about each night, we found in many cases that people were eagerly searching for God. The problem is that we just never reached out to them. We'd just never gone and spoken to them before. Jesus did not make that mistake. Jesus did not write off people based on what they looked like or how they were living. Instead, he reached out to them and offered them the gift of living water. So we're going to read from John chapter 4 this morning. John chapter 4, we're going to read the first 18 verses just. We're going to take a little bit of time to get through uh, this, this chapter. But John chapter 4, verse 1. We're going to start this morning. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and, dis- and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact there was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. 
Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Last week we saw that Jesus left Judea and went back to Galilee. And he he did this in part at least because he didn't want to fuel the supposed rivalry between himself and John the Baptist. He moved out of that area rather than giving the Pharisees more, uh, more and more of the idea that he was trying to compete with John. But there were two routes from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north. Many of the Jews took the eastern route round by the, the Jordan River, even although it was a longer route. That was because they wanted to avoid the area of Samaria. Because Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews for a whole heap of different reasons. For political reasons, for racial reasons, for religious reasons. These nations had separated, had been politically separate since Solomon's death. Around a thousand years earlier. That's when Israel was divided into the the northern and the southern kingdoms. But then after the northern kingdom had been overrun by the Assyrians, foreigners had come in and they'd married with the Samaritan people. So the Samaritans weren't a just distinct race. They were seen as racially impure, of mixed race. And the Jews despised that. And then to make matters worse, the Samaritans had built their own temple on Mount Gerizim around 400 BC. And they'd incorporated other ideas into their beliefs. So most Jews would have seen the Samaritans as their enemies. As an impure race with impure beliefs. So they'd rather take the longer way round rather than come into contact with the Samaritans. But Jesus, he's different. He he took the shorter, the more direct route, straight through Samaria. 
We read in verse 4 that he had to go through Samaria. He had to go. Now this wasn't out of laziness because it was the shorter route. Or just out of pragmatism because it was the, the easiest option. And said this was because, as he said later in verse 34 of this chapter, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was on his father's business. And his father had called him to go to the despised places. To go to the places where everybody else would try to avoid. And that was because he had an appointment with a, spe- with a certain woman. Jesus was tired. He sat down by a well outside of Sychar while his disciples went into the town to buy food. And it was then that a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now, I don't remember if you remember in chapter 3, in the previous chapter, we met Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the kind of person that we might have expected Jesus to reach out to. Nicodemus was a deeply religious man. Highly respectable. He had a position of responsibility. He was a committed student of the scriptures. And he had a deep understanding of theology. Nicodemus was a good guy in most people's eyes. But this woman here is in many ways the exact opposite. As I said, she was a Samaritan. So she would be despised by the Jews. She also had a checkered past. A catalogue of failed marriages. Had five husbands, Jesus said to her in, in verse 18. And right now, she was in an immoral situation. She was living with a man that she wasn't married to. The man you now have is, is not your husband. And probably as a result of this, she was an outcast in her own society. John says in verse 6 that it was about the sixth hour when she came to the well. This was probably midday when nobody else would be out. You know a little phrase? Mad, dog, mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. Everybody else who's got common sense stays away. And she was a woman in a culture where men usually wouldn't talk to women. Rabbis, this, this is what they said. One should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife, because of the gospel of men. So this wasn't the done thing. This wasn't expected. This is Jesus going against his culture. This woman was the, somehow like the last person that the Jews would have expected their Messiah to speak to. Even his own disciples were surprised by this. In verse 27, it says his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. So everybody else didn't expect this. But Jesus spoke to her. Because Jesus valued her. 
he rejected the, the prejudices and the division and saw her as someone who was worth spending time with, worth caring about, worth reaching out to. After all, this is why Jesus came. He said about himself in Luke chapter 19, The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That means, this morning, that whoever we are, whatever we're like, whatever we've done, whatever we've not done in our lives, Jesus came for us. Jesus came for both the respectable and the rejected. He came for the honoured and the hated. He came for those who are trying to live a good life. As well as those who continually mess up. Jesus came for us. But it also means that if we're trying to follow Jesus... If we're seeking to walk in His footsteps, then we need to do the same. We need to reject the prejudices and the preconceptions of our culture. And we need to reach out to people, no matter who they are or what they're like. Because we see their value in God's eyes. We need to say, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We're not going to see people through the eyes of our culture, or our background, or our family's way of doing things, or any other way. We're going to see people through God's eyes. Through the eyes of Christ. But how did Jesus reach out to this woman? This woman had so many huge issues in her life. Moral issues. Spiritual issues. Relational issues. So which do you think Jesus should confront first? Which do you think he should challenge first? Which thing you should point his finger and say, you've got a problem. Well, of course, Jesus didn't start by challenging her or her life. Do you see how Jesus started his conversation with, with this woman? Will you give me a drink? What a gentle way for Jesus to contact this woman. It showed a real deep respect, genuine respect for her. As most Jews would never drink from something that a Samaritan had given them. They would have realised that as being unclean. But this showed amazing vulnerability from Jesus. To be honest about the fact that he was weak, that he was thirsty. To be willing to go up to this woman and ask help some people think that in order to be 
uh, an effective evangelist. We need to show that we have it all together. We need to have all the answers and to have our lives all sorted. We need to be so self-sufficient that we can just go there and show how we've got it sorted in our life. But God's way is different. It's one of my favourite verses. Noel's talking about favourite verses. I've got a whole load of them. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're singing a beautiful song based around this verse, I think, eh, last night at a praise and prayer night. Treasure in jars of clay. God has deliberately, not accidentally, not because he couldn't think of another way, but he has deliberately put the precious gospel in us. With all of our weaknesses, with all of our limitations. And he's done it so that we will share this message from a place of humility and vulnerability. So that people will not be distracted by us. So nobody will go and look at us and say, wow, he's amazing. Wow, she is wonderful. Look at all that she's accomplished. Look at all that he has done. So people won't do that. But instead they'll see God's power in us. This is what Paul did when he preached in the city of Corinth. Listen to how he describes himself as he he came to this city to preach the gospel. He says, I came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So this morning, are we willing to be honest with people? Are we willing to be vulnerable? Are we willing to let them see our struggles and our weaknesses so that they can see God's power at work in us? Don't think you have to have it all together to be able to share the gospel. God wants to work through broken vessels like us. Of course, Jesus didn't just go up and ask for water. Instead, he used this as an opportunity then to go and share the good news. When the women react with shock at the fact that that he, as a Jewish man, would ask for a drink, this is what Jesus said, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's amazing when you think of it, isn't it? This woman was clearly a sinner. Her life was a mess. And her ideas about God were all mixed up. But before challenging her, before correcting her theology, before fixing up her life, Jesus offered her the gift of living water. 
of eternal life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why did he do that? Well, he hadn't, she hadn't done anything to earn this. She hadn't done anything to deserve this. She wasn't even looking for it. She'd just come to that well that, mo- that afternoon just for normal, everyday H2O. But Jesus shared the good news with her because this is what he had come to do. Jesus told Nicodemus, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus did not come to point the finger and condemn everybody around for being messed up. Yes, of course there were things that had to be confronted in this woman's life. We'll get to that in a minute or two. But first and foremost, Jesus was there to share the good news. The good news of salvation to the lost. And we are called to do the same. Our mission, our calling as followers of Jesus is not to point the finger and condemn everybody for doing things wrong in their life. It's not to tell people how bad they are. Instead, our message is the good news that Jesus offers the free gift of eternal life to everyone who puts their faith in Him. We are called to be good news people. But of course, this woman didn't understand all of this. She misunderstood what Jesus was talking about. Verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus had started to talk about this good news in terms of living water because they were standing at a well. It was a, it was a clever and a natural and a helpful way of, to go from speaking about thirst-quenching water to soul-quenching salvation. But this woman was kind of scratching her head. She couldn't make that, that connection, that, take that journey. She was still thinking about physical things rather than spiritual things. Now she wasn't alone in this. Many people misunderstood Jesus' teaching because they thought he was speaking about physical things rather than spiritual things. Remember back in chapter, chapter 3 with Nicodemus? When Jesus talked to him about you had to be born again, he was thinking, well, my mum wouldn't be very happy about that. Or in John chapter 6, many people made that same mistake when Jesus talked about eating his body and drinking his blood and they are repulsed by that and they left because they thought he was thinking about physical things when actually he was talking about spiritual things. John chapter 19 the Jews made the same mistake when Jesus, about Jesus' claim to be a king. They thought he was a, an earthly, physical king with a, with a physical kingdom rather than a kingdom that's in heaven. So many people misunderstand Jesus' teaching that way. But Jesus didn't ridicule her for making that mistake. Instead, he just lovingly explained himself. Verse 13. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. 
The water in that well could quench her thirst, could meet her physical needs for a short time. But she would have to need to come back the next day, and the next, and the next, and the next, because the effects of it would wear out. I think maybe that was a picture of what she was doing with all of those marriages. Coming back, looking for more and more. Each time she thought that this new man would satisfy her heart, would fill her soul, only to be hit again with that aching emptiness. That nobody can fill that gap. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 2, the Lord challenged his people. And he said this about them. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they've been digging their own cisterns. Broken cisterns that can't hold water. The problem was the people had turned away from God, the only one who could satisfy their hearts. And they'd been going after lots of other things, desperately trying to fill their, 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 their aching heart. But with broken systems, broken wells that were just leaking all the time, I would never satisfy. But the water that Jesus gives is different. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This living water is the gift of eternal life. A gift that once and for all meets our spiritual needs. That cleanses us of our sin totally, once and for all. That brings us into an unbreakable relationship with God. That will never end. This is our greatest need. And this is what Jesus offers everyone who calls, comes to him. As we saw last week, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. <coughs> and if we have ex- understood this, this is what we need to patiently and gently explain to people around us. Our message is not, come to Jesus and he'll give you a great life, as the world describes. It's not focused on a on the physical and the temporary needs of today. It's not about health or wealth or happiness. That's not the message of the gospel. Instead, it's about the gift of a life-transforming relationship with God. One that starts now and one that goes on forever. And that's ultimately what our hearts are aching for. That is our deepest need. That is our cry. This is what Jesus said. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, 
whom you have sent. This is the message of the gospel. This is the offer that Jesus is giving to us today. Now I don't know how much this woman understood. But she knew that she wanted it. So she said, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty. I have to keep on coming back here to draw water. I think at this point, I think if that had been us, we'd been tempted just to lead her in a prayer of acceptance right there and then. Great, here it is. But Jesus knew that there were things in her life that had to be confronted. But he did it so gently, didn't he? Verse 16, go call your husband and come back. In response, she kind of told the truth. I don't have a husband. But of course it wasn't the full picture. But Jesus revealed that he knew the whole story of our life. The emptiness of our past relationships. The sinfulness of our lifestyle. But he didn't do this to condemn her. After all, he'd already offered her the gift of living water. Instead, he did this so she would confront her sinfulness. So she could confess her guilt. So that she could receive forgiveness. Lorna read from 1 John this morning, just before our time of communion. The verse before that one that she said says this. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then it goes on to say, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Without honest confession of our sin to God, without sincere repentance, turning away from our sin, then we cannot be forgiven. Had this woman continued to hide her sinfulness, pretend that her life was, was everything was okay, that her life was what it should be, then she would have never been able to come into the freedom and the joy of sins forgiven. Of course today we're told to be tolerant. We're told that talking about people's sin is unkind and offensive. I've even seen clips in the, on video clips on YouTube of pastors saying that kind of thing. Oh, I don't want to say anything. anybody's a sinner. I don't want to say that thing is wrong. But Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The only qualification to be able to come to Jesus is you're willing to admit you're a sinner and that you need Him to forgive you and save you. So we need to be willing to take that difficult step and help people to see their sinfulness. Not so that we could condemn them and certainly not so that we could feel superior to them. Because of course we need to remember our own sinfulness. But that's so that they can confess their guilt 
so that they can repent of it, so that they can receive God's forgiveness. The full and free offer of forgiveness. If we love someone, then that will drive us to call call them to repentance. It's love that should motivate us, not pride. And for this woman, that revelation of her own sinfulness was an important step in her journey to come to faith in Jesus, to accept Jesus as her Saviour. But she wasn't quite ready to put her faith in Jesus yet. And we'll, we'll, we'll take up the story next week to continue that passage and see how Jesus helped her to ultimately accept this life-transforming gift of living water. But what about us this morning? Have we all received this gift of living water? If not, then this offer is for us today. It doesn't matter where we come from. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter what we have done. It doesn't matter what we haven't done in our lives. Jesus offers us the gift of eternal life today. All we need to do is to come to Him openly, honestly, admitting our sinfulness, confessing our guilt, asking Him to forgive us, and putting our trust in Him, and in Him alone. And if we have received this gift, if today we can rejoice that we have the gift of living water within us, then we are called to follow in Jesus' footsteps and offer this gift to others, those people around us. This week we're called to reach out, even to those other people reject. We're called to be vulnerable, because our weaknesses are opportunities for God to work in power. We're called to share the good news Offer the free gift of life to everyone we meet. We're called to explain the message. Patiently help people to understand. And finally, call people to repentance. Because sin needs to be confronted before it can be forgiven.